Well, good morning, church family. Uh, my name is TJ Clausen. I get the privilege of being the youth director here at Lex City Church. And this morning, I thought I'd coordinate my outfit around my newest accessory that I'm trying out. Uh, just pro tip, uh, pro cooking tip for you, all right? Don't try and cut your bagel while you're also holding your bagel, all right? So I got seven stitches to learn that lesson, but I'm giving it to you for free this morning. But like Dave said, uh, I get the privilege of closing out our Acts series that we've been doing this summer. And I don't know about you, but for me, Acts is just one of those really interesting books in the Bible. It's so fun to read through. It's got so many of these stories of just the formation of the early church, the disciples. You have all these stories where you're like, wow, look how God really moved in that story. But this morning, I don't know about you, sometimes I read the book of Acts and it's kind of hard because it, sometimes it feels more like a book that's more descriptive than it is prescriptive. What I mean by that is it feels like Acts sometimes is a great description of these awesome stories that happen to other people, but I don't always know, like, what am I supposed to take from it? How am I supposed to get something out of this story? It's more descriptive. It's less uh, of like the letters, right, that Paul writes that are more prescriptive. He's like, hey, church, do this. Don't do this. Stay away from this. Like there's really clear commands, but that's not what Acts is. It's more of less prescribing ways to live as a Christian and more describing events from the lives of Christians. It's more descriptive than prescriptive. And so for some of you, that's why you love the book of Acts, right? You are all about stories. You just love to hear stories from other people. That's what inspires you. That's what motivates you. That's what makes you think like, I'm going to make that happen in my life. You love to hear stories. Others of you, maybe you're a little more like me. And honestly, a whole series on a book like Acts is a little more of a struggle because you're just, you're more of a prescriptive thinker. You're right. You're like, God, just tell me what I'm supposed to do, right? Like, I don't necessarily need a story. Just give me the verse I can memorize and I can just meditate on that throughout my day and that's gonna just help me get better as a Christian. I don't need necessarily the fluff story of how someone else did it. Or like for me, my favorite verse is like Philippians 4.8. It's just whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovable, admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, let your mind dwell on these things. That one verse sustains my life, right? Like I need to get better at that every single day. And so I'm more of that thinker, like God, just give it to me plain. What do you want me to do? But what I love about our Bibles is that it has both in it, right? Because I'm obviously being extreme. We need both of both stories and the prescriptive teachings. The do this, the don't do this is really clear. It's really helpful. It trains us in how to go about our lives. But then the reality is stories are so powerful for us. God created us as relational beings. We love to hear stories. We love to hear what God is doing in someone else's life because it encourages us of what he can be doing in our lives. We learn through stories. We're inspired through stories. We're warned through stories. We're reminded of God's provision through stories. As human beings, we're captivated by stories. Right, that's why Barbenheimer was a thing this past weekend, right? If you missed it, last Friday, two movies came out on the same day, all right? You had Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan's take on the atom bomb, and on the same day, the Barbie movie came out, okay? And so what people were doing on the first two days, Friday and Saturday, 200,000 people 
bought tickets to see both Barbie and Oppenheimer back to back in the same day. Why? Because they wanted the bipolar experience of stories and storytelling because we are captivated by stories. And so this morning, I want to close our series of Acts with the last great epic story that we get from the life of Paul. And whether you're more of a prescriptive thinker or you're more of a descriptive thinker, I hope for this morning you'll let yourself just be captivated, intrigued, interested in this story that we get passed down to us from the life of Paul. So today we're going to be in Acts chapter 27. Uh, If you're new to Lex City, you can just go to lexcity.info, search that on your phones, and you can find all of the message notes there, all anything you need to know for Lex City. That is your home. If you have a student, sign them up for our last summer event, our all-day Kings Island trip happening next week. But for today, go to message notes. You can follow along. But as we get into Acts, as you read through the book of Acts, you'll find you see this amazing conversion story of this Jewish Pharisee named Paul. And we get that in chapter 9. And then pretty much from chapter 13 on, he is really the central character or the central person that we get stories from in the book of Acts. He goes on kind of his three missionary journeys. If you've been with us, you've probably seen all the different maps of his missionary journeys throughout this series. But Paul goes and he takes the gospel first to uh, Judea and then Galatia, and then he gets to Asia and then Macedonia. And then in the orange, he gets it all the way out to Rome. And that's the story that we're going to look at today, Paul's trip to Rome. And I put that map up there because if you're geographically challenged like I am, like I want you to realize how far it was for Paul to get all the way from Israel to Rome. And it wasn't this luxury trip, right? Paul's not taking carnival cruise and just enjoying the, the sea. He is as a prisoner moving from Israel all the way to Rome. In fact, the only reason Paul is going to Rome is because he was arrested for stirring up a riot in the temple for teaching that Jesus was the Messiah. And in order to save his life, he appeals to have his, uh, to have his argument heard in front of Caesar as a Roman citizen. That was his right. And so we see this. We're going to jump into Acts chapter 27, verse 1. This is the story of Paul getting to Rome. It says this, When it was decided that he would sail for Italy, Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded a ship from uh, Adramitium about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Verse 8, we moved along the coast with difficulty, came to a place called Fair Havens near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost, though, and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives as well. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Verse 15, the ship was caught up by a storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it and were driven along. We passed to the lee of a small island called Kata, and when we, har- we were hardly able to make it the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted it aboard, and then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid we would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw over cargo 
On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And when neither sun nor star appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. Verse 33, just before dawn, Paul urged them to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense, have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. And so I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. None of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. And he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food for themselves. Keep going to verse 39. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach. And so they headed, so they decided to run the ship aground if they could. But the ship stuck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and, so he, and, to, and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest would get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everybody reached land safely. You might think, wow, that's an intense story. Thanks for sharing that, TJ. But guess what? It gets even more intense, all right? In chapter 28, it says this. We'll close it here, 28 verse 1. Once safely ashore, we found out the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us because it was raining and cold. So Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it in the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself onto his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effect. The people expected him to swell up and suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their mind and said he was a god. And then we see three months later, they get boarded onto another ship that was leaving this island towards Rome. And in verse 14, it says, so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the forum of Appius to the, tree, to the three taverns to meet us. In the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. And we'll close with verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So there it is, the last epic story that closes out the book of Acts. And Acts just ends just like that. And so what do we take away? What's the lesson for us, right? We just read a descriptive story about some cool thing that happened to Paul, but what's the lesson for us? What do we take away from Paul getting stuck in this storm that encompasses like six months of his life? I think the lesson for the story for us to reflect on is this, is you can be following God and life is still gonna be hard. Right? You can be following God and life's still gonna be hard. And I think we all know that, right? We all would say, yeah, I guess that's right. But it's not something that we really like to think about very often, right? Even the stories we have in the Bible, we're guilty of romanticizing them a lot of times and not really thinking about how hard it would have been for that person who actually went through that story, right? For example, think of famous Bible stories. You get the story of Noah, right? How cool, what an awesome story to be Noah. 
we forget Noah got made fun of and ridiculed and harassed for like a hundred years while he built this ark, right? Or we think of the great story, David killing Goliath. How cool for David. We forget for David, he wasn't even allowed to go to the battle because his family thought he was too small and too sensitive. They told him that he has to stay behind, right? Or maybe the story of Joseph, such a cool story, Joseph. But we forget Joseph spent at least two years in an Egyptian prison slash dungeon as an innocent person. Yes, Paul's the greatest missionary, the greatest church planner in history, but Paul also was beaten and mocked and arrested probably more than any other Christian in history. And I think at times in our attempts to encourage each other that like God makes our lives better, we sometimes are guilty of thinking that it means God makes our lives easier. And we don't, when we don't remind ourselves that you can be fully following God and life is still gonna be hard, we are guilty of not creating a faith that's able to stand up when life is hard. Because if following God means that nothing should ever go wrong in your life, then when things come up that are going wrong in your life, the only explanation is, well, you must not be doing something right, right? You're not following God or God didn't want you to do that. That's why these hard things are coming in to your life. But that's not what God says life is gonna be like. For Paul, it wasn't that now that you follow God, you're never gonna have any hardships come. It was the opposite. It was Paul's faith and his confidence in who God was that gave him the resilience to stand against all the hard things that came in his life, right? All through the book of Acts, we see Paul and other Christians, we have examples of what they were willing to go through because of their love for who God is and what he was doing in their lives. And as I was kind of reflecting on this this week, what kept popping into my mind and the image I kept getting was, it's kind of like the most recent Netflix uh, documentary Tia and I just finished binging called Quarterbacks. All right, if you haven't seen it, it's, uh, it's a behind the scenes of three NFL quarterbacks and kind of what they go through throughout a season. And it's a really fun series. It, it gets behind like their families and you get to see who they are as people outside of just quarterbacks. If you watch it, you will join Tanya from our church staff as a Minnesota Vikings fan because Kirk Cousins is just like the most godly father you've ever seen in that documentary. But what I loved about it, the show is fascinating to see what these guys were willing to put their bodies through because they love to play this game football. And yes, it's just football, right? It's just a game, but... They have this love and this passion that makes them willing to go through the pain every single week. And I think it was the same mindset that Paul had. If you look all through the book of Acts, you see what Paul had to go through throughout his whole life. And you would think, what kept Paul going? Why would Paul keep being willing? Like, okay, I get thrown into prison maybe three times and I think, all right, maybe I should change my method. Maybe I should do this a little different, right? But he just keeps going. Why? Because... He was so confident in who God was and what God was doing in his life. Yes, Paul was planting churches all over the place, but half the time, we forget he's running for his life from town to town because he keeps getting driven out by mobs who are angry that he's teaching that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Yes, Paul gets to go preach in Rome, the center of the world at the time, but he's going there as a prisoner. It takes him two and a half years as a prisoner to actually get to Rome to even have the chance to speak in front of those people. 
I think for us, like many of us, if you had the opportunity, like, hey, you could go get a chance to go to Washington, D.C., and you get to speak in front of all of our nation's leaders, and you'll have a chance to share the gospel with every single one of them, a lot of us would be like, awesome. Like, I would do that. Like, that's a chance to make some change, like to help the people who are in charge know who God is. But what if that was going to take at least six months of your life? Right, Just to get to D.C., you were going to have to take six months of your life. Or even more, what if I said it was going to take two and a half years of your life away just for you to get to go have that conversation? And not only that, but you would get treated and transported like a prisoner, traveling from jail to jail on your way to D.C. Is it really worth it to you to have that one speech and go through everything that it would take to get there? See, we see this with Paul. What kept him going? What sustained his boldness? It was his love for who God is and how God impacted his life. He, he felt this call. He understood that God was promising things in the future that were better than what he was will, having to go through right now in his experience. And so the Paul really understood that struggles with God is actually more satisfying and purposeful than an easy life without God that you'll get to experience a love and a purpose that is so great and so much greater than any hardships you're gonna face compared to what you get to experience with God. But again, don't hear that and just immediately gloss over the story of Paul, right? This is still a pretty miserable experience for Paul. He's a prisoner. His trip is moving painstakingly slow. He finds himself in a storm in the middle of the sea for 14 days straight. He's at sea being bombarded by the storm. His ship eventually wrecks. He has to swim to safety, or maybe he can't swim, and he has to hold on to some part of the ship to get to safety. And then he finally makes it, and he gets bitten by a venomous snake. And then he's loaded back onto a different ship, taken to Rome, and even when he gets to Rome, he never is actually truly free again. He lives under a house arrest kind of system while he's in Rome. This story is not a story of, look how great your life is going to be if you follow Jesus. In fact, there's really nothing about Paul's story to envy. Like, there's no part of me that goes, sign me up for that life. Like, that's not what I would want to be a part of. But the inspiration of the story is really, look what Paul was willing to go through because of the faith that he had. And the encouragement is you have that exact same faith in you and you are using it in your life. So what do we do when we need to be reminded of that truth that we can be following God, but life is still gonna be hard? Let me just give you three things from the Netflix quarterback documentary, all right, that are also true of Paul and I think need to be true of us spiritually. All right, the first is this, the first thing to do when we need to be reminded that we can be following God, but life is still gonna be hard. One is remember to steward God's call. All right, Vikings quarterback, Kirk Cousins, he says this about his inspiration for why he does it, why he plays football. He says, I feel God has given me a gift and I want to steward it the best I possibly can. That's his motivation. The motivation that makes the pain, the sacrifice, the stress, the ridicule worth it each season for Kirk is he feels that God's given him this unique ability to be a, one of the best guys to be able to be a quarterback in the NFL, and he wants to use that platform uh, and steward it well because he feels God is calling him to do that. And I think Paul would answer really the same way. 
God had given Paul this call, this mission, that he was going to share the gospel with people that who had never heard it, that he was going to get to go to the ends of the earth, to get to go to Rome. And that was his encouragement of, I'm going to steward this call well. He was willing to go through whatever storms he needed, whatever prisons he needed, whatever hardships were going to come so that he could steward that call. So the question is, do you feel like you know what God's call is on your life? Do you trust that call? Do you believe that call? Is that call the thing that you filter everything through? Is it strong enough to weather the storms and the trials that are gonna come up as you try and follow God's call for your life? Now, really quick, I also think that not every inconvenience that comes into our life is the enemy's attempt to get you off of what God's called you to do, okay? In fact, I'd say most of the things we deal with are honestly just... They're just consequences of either our own sinful decisions or other people's sinful decisions or just living in an imperfect world, right? Like earlier this week, your barista messed up your coffee at Starbucks and you were like, not today, Satan. You're trying to get me off my game so I'm not gonna be a witness. Like, no, your barista probably just made a mistake, all right? Maybe my sermon was gonna be so good today that Satan tried to cut off my finger, No, probably not. I probably just wasn't paying attention and using a knife, all right? Not everything that comes into your life is like, this is trying to get you off of God's call for your life. Now, I definitely believe that spiritual warfare is real, that there are things that come into our lives that the enemy does try and distract us from what God calls us to do. But we have to use discernment, right? Not every bad thing that happens is a personal attack on your call for your life and Not every bad thing that happens is evidence that you're not following God, right? If we think that to follow God means nothing goes wrong, then anytime something goes wrong, you're like, well, then I must not be doing what God wants, and that's not the truth either. You can be following God, and life can still be hard. God's call on your life is not gonna stop hardships from coming into your life. It's gonna give you a purpose and a comfort to push through those as they come in your life. It's the comfort that you aren't alone, that good can come from this, that you are stewarding God's call in the middle of this. And so, do you have confidence in God's call for your life? If you do, then awesome. Walk in confidence in that. Through the good and the bad, know I am stewarding what God called me to do in this situation. Maybe you're here and you're like, I, I don't feel like I know what God's call is for my life. How do I find that? Two things you can do. First, Have you asked God about it? Do you have a relationship with God that you can talk to him, that you can pray to him, that you can say, God, show me, give me direction. Like, I want to know what your call is for my life. If you don't have that, that's step one. And I'd encourage you today, like, don't leave this place without talking to someone about how can I have that type of relationship that God would tell me what he wants for my life. If you don't have a sense, find it. If you don't have a sense for your call, So that's the first thing, have a relationship with him. The second thing is I'd encourage you, stay in community or get in community. Pastor Dave just talked about life groups that are going. This get volunteering or get in a life group is the best way because God a lot of times gives us direction and speaks to us through people who know us and care about us. And so get in community and allow God to speak to you through others. But that's the first, midst the hardships of life, Have confidence that you are stewarding God's call in those situations. Second truth is this from quarterbacks. All right, one of the quarterbacks says this. 
I guess part of me kind of likes getting hit. And that has to be true. If you play football, you, there's a weird part of you that has to like getting hit. That is why I did not like football, all right? Like even defense hurt for me. I, even in high school, like 0% body fat, all right? If I'm tackling you, I'm the one getting hurt. And so it wasn't the sport for me. But there's a reality, you kind of have to like it. So spiritual bullet point of that is this, consider trials as joy. Consider trials as joy. And if you've been in church, your mind probably pops to the well-quoted verse from James, right? James 1, 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. There's a reality that when you have a relationship with God, you can find joy even going through trials because you aren't hopeless in them. They're actually opportunities for you to grow your faith. In fact, a lot of us are guilty of it's not even until things are going wrong that we're reminded that we need God in our life, right? That it's only when things go wrong that we are even willing to be like, okay, I can't do this, God, I need your help. And so in that sense, we need trials to have those opportunities to trust and to see God provide. And so no, I don't think Paul was happy right, to be in a fierce storm for two weeks. I don't think Paul was happy to be stranded on an island. I don't think Paul was hoping that he would get bit by a snake, right? But the reality is you don't have to be happy in the midst of your trials. You don't have to be happy to go through financial strain. You don't have to be happy to be dealing with loss right now. You don't have to be happy to be dealing with a sickness in your life, but you can find joy. Because joy is tied more to hope and confidence in who God is, that in this situation that you're in, as much as you don't want to be in it, that you can trust God will bring good from it. And even when you sit there and you see no possible way that there could be any good that would come from the situation, that's where our faith is grown and our confidence is God is grown. And so in that instance, consider trials as joy. There can be a little excitement in you when you face trials because you know, okay, this is my chance to have my faith grow. I'm not happy about it. I'm gonna pray that God gets me out of this as fast as I can, but I know that I can trust him in it because there's a small part of me that knows I'm gonna have a, there's gonna be a positive effect in the long run. God is either teaching me something or he's using me and I can trust that he is good. And so in that sense, I consider trials as joy. So that's the second thing I think that needs to be true of us. And then the third is this. When life is hard, we need to be reminded, truth of the quarterbacks. Marcus Mariota says this about playing football. He says, if you, some, if it, if you love something and you're passionate about it, you find ways to get through it. So spiritually, I'd say it's this. Number three is develop spiritual grit. I go through a study with some of our high schoolers. We do a leadership thing. And one of the things our leadership uh, principles kind of talk about is this idea of grit. And so I'll need to define it this way and kind of what we mean by grit. It says, grit is what are you willing to suffer for? That's what a true passion is, what a true love is for something. Not what makes you happy, not what is fun, but what do you love so much you would suffer for it? Is that how you describe your faith? Is it something you love so much that you would suffer for it? See, there's a lot of things in my life I like, right? I like video games, but I'm not suffering for video games, right? If, if there's an inconvenience, I'm like, I'm out. 
right? If you know me, I, snowboarding is something I do love. I would do a little bit of suffering for snowboarding, all right? For me, like, I'll go out in negative degree weather because that's actually the best snowboarding. Uh, I will sleep in my car at the base of the mountain so I can be the first one up. I will not travel in the summer so that I can make sure that I travel in the winter. Like, I love it enough that I'd have, like, minor suffering for it. But the reality is when it comes to my faith, my faith in God, my purpose that I feel like he's called me to, that is something that I would truly suffer for, that there's nothing that I would not be willing to go through or give up if I felt like it was what God was calling me to do. My faith is honestly the one thing I can truly say I would be willing to suffer anything for. And so do you have a spiritual convenience? Do you have a spiritual happiness? Or do you have spiritual grit? Faith can't be just something that you like or something you enjoy. It has to be something so core to you that you would say, I would be willing to suffer for that. That's what a spiritual grit really is. And I think these are three things that we see in Paul. When he's following God's life and it's still hard, he's stewarding God's call, he's considering his trials as joy, and he has spiritual grit. I think these are things that define Paul throughout his whole life, that we see all through Acts, but even in this final story, what do we get this final story passed down to us? I think it's a evidence to us. It's an encouragement to us that the faith he has is the same faith that we can have. And if life was not perfect for Paul, who was following after God, life is not gonna be perfect for us. That's not the promise of life with God. The promise is that life is gonna be hard, but you're not gonna be alone and it's not gonna be purposeless if God is part of your life. You can be following God and life is still gonna be hard. But that's how you know you truly love something. Not if it makes you happy, but if it's something you're willing to suffer for. And if that's the kind of faith you have, you'll have a life of great impact like that of Paul's. Let me pray for us. God, thank you just for the truth of your word. And you give us these stories and acts to inspire us and encourage us that you work in our lives the same way that you have in those who followed you before us. God, forgive us at times when we believe the lie that to follow you means we're, you're gonna make our lives easy. God, you are actually better than that. You don't make life easy, you make it purposeful and meaningful. And so this week, when life gets hard, when we're facing the trials, when we're in the middle of that storm that some of us even walked in with, I pray you help us this week to have confidence in those situations that we can steward your call, that we can learn to count it as joy and we can grow our spiritual grit. Thanks for the promise that you are always with us and we walk through no parts of our life alone. God, we love you. We probably sing in your name. Amen.